my Govan and one and all, and thank you for joining us on The Literary Baptists. I'm Lee, and I'm joined by Zach and Maddie this evening. How are you all? Tired. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Me too, I but I would yeah, also whatever. be happy to be in bed, so whatever. <laughs> We're 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 missing Nick tonight because he was he and his family have been moving and I believe uh, they were intercepted by some of the forces of Ang Band on their way to their new abode and uh, um our 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 uh, best wishes and thoughts and prayers are with them as they try to <laughs> escape the the icy grasp of of Morgoth tonight. So. <laughs> You weren't going to so send them some uh, positive, positive vibes. I would mail them some Lembas, but I don't have an address. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep up your strength. Yes. Well, it, it'll be his loss because uh, I think this is a really fun, if short, chapter of uh, of the Silmarillion that we have tonight. Um, so it's the chapter of Aule and Yavanna. Uh, a chapter that could have ended in divorce if somebody else had written it, I think. <laughs> that's, that's my hot take at the beginning. Uh, nah, never happened. <laughs> I know Yavana's so, pretty spicy. You, you know, Yavana, I, I really liked her as a character, just kind of the way that she's, because she's basically this is like her introduction, basically, like as a as a personality. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think we really heard much from her in the in the previous chapters. Um, so I I enjoyed kind of seeing a little bit about her her motivations and what makes her tick, and what gets her ticked off. <laughs> Thanks, Zach. I, I'm a real professional, and I, I do these things and. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> what did I do? You're just you giggling. Laughed my, you asked my very obvious joke. I appreciate oh, okay. it. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm easily amused. So yeah, you are. You're on. You're on a tear tonight. This is gonna be great. <laughs> Can't wait to hear I'm you snoring into so your microphone. It, it, I might say some weird stuff. <laughs> good i support it or be incoherent you never know so i guess um just to give some highlights of this chapter uh for anybody anybody listening uh if you don't already own a copy of the silmarillion uh first of all shame on you because you should and number two once you've acquired that copy of the silmarillion you really should read this very very short chapter and then come back to the podcast uh and uh, and so you can hit pause right here and read what is in my copy exactly two pages of text. Um, well, actually, it's it's one entire page, two two faces of a page in, in my book. I don't know about anybody else's, but I have this have a large uh, book, lovely paperback edition. Mine's like which I four, bought in store. Mine's like four pages. Four, pages. but I have like the short little. Oh, look like mass market paperback version. Yeah. Yes. So the pages are one. small. Like a plebe. <laughs> I have some fancy ones. 
But this is my my notated book here. We've got nice. some notes. <laughs> Man, we, need, we need a wide margin Silmarillion. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> so Journal good. Silmarillion. Right. Do it like you the know, Bible. Not, to, not to get off topic right at the start, but doing this has reminded <laughs> me how great it is to just like take notes in the margins of your of your paper book. Um, yeah. Like just to like sit there with the pencil and either, you know, underline things or jot something in the, in the margins, get some marginalia going like that is just, and I feel like I, I take in and remember not, not only understand, but remember what, what's been written better when I do that. Um, and not just with like fiction, but even with the Bible too. Um, mm-hmm. Even in some of my premiums, I'll do that. Uh, even though I don't like to mess up that beautiful paper, but um I do. I do. I just love marking up a book. I think it's uh, it's fun and, and helpful for sure. For me, you know, it's anyway. annoying though is when you buy a used book and somebody else wrote notes and highlighted it, and you're like, "No, no, I don't agree." Why did you highlight that? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. The only time that was helpful was in school. Like if I bought a used textbook and somebody like I feel like they already did my homework yeah. for me. Thanks, <laughs> nameless stranger. That's right. <laughs> That's like I got lucky. <laughs> yeah, it's like jackpot. Ate this class. <laughs> they, they they put an entire uh, highlighter in this thing for me. <laughs> Thank. Or you get you. the one that literally every sentence is highlighted. That was yeah. probably oh, mine. Yeah. <laughs> this this sounds important this probably is important too i'll just go ahead and highlight that that's probably important it's like i can't remember if who made the meme i hope it was one of you guys but i don't know if it was it was a while back and somebody was like uh, a brand new calvinist reading romans and it's just every line has yellow highlighter on it yep. <laughs> legit <laughs> That was how my first Bible when I when I got reformed started uh started out. It was just constant highlighting everything. I'm like if everything's a highlight, then nothing's a highlight. And then I stopped. But when, when I was uh <laughs> reading Samuel Renahan's Mystery of Christ, <laughs> I got to the point where my non-highlighted sentences were like highlights in, in and of themselves. <laughs> like I would just be like, well, I'll just not highlight that part because it'll stand out. <laughs> among the highlighting yeah i remember why i did that later too (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then you look back and you're like i don't i can't pull anything out of it (laughs) i loaned my copy of that book to uh one of my pastors over the last like month or so he returned it to me on sunday and as he handed it to me another guy was like what's that book and i said this is a great book and I'm like, have you read it? He's like, no, I haven't read it. And he's like, can I borrow it? I'm like, yeah, sure. Here you go. So I brought it back and relent it in the same day. You're like it's a brotherhood library. Yeah. I, I ought to be the, keeping a record of this. The Brotherhood of the Traveling Book. <sighs> That'd actually be pretty cool. I'd love to be part of something like that. That'd be so cool. You are non-ironically. We are we are kind of doing it. We just all have our own copy instead, right? 
I mean, I guess we could mail each other copies of books we read. That would be, that would, it would be cheaper to like just buy one on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would. Like, or you do the thing. I don't know if you can do it anymore, but like there was the thing in the past where you you could le- you could lend uh, a a Kindle book that you owned to another Kindle user. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah. I don't know if they I don't know if they still do that or not. But I did that a few times. I don't know. Hmm. I have to look that up. That was that was handy, actually. Like you got it for like two weeks, kind of like a library loan, but it was your friend. Mm-hmm. And so like when if I loaned you that book to your Kindle, I couldn't read the book because technically I had loaned it to someone else. <laughs> so like the 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 <laughs> title would be on my Kindle, but it would be like grayed out <laughs> and I couldn't access it until until you returned it to me. It was very interesting. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So I did get us off topic. You're welcome. <laughs> Good job. It didn't take long at all. No, not at all. Um, so yeah, so this this uh, pretty short chapter, um, but I think a lot of consequential stuff happens in it. Um, this is the story where we get the, the origin of the dwarves, um, which is very, very important. Uh, it's also the story where uh, we get the origin of uh, another one of the peoples of Middle-earth that maybe I don't want to spoil yet because uh, the dwarves are right up front. But um, So we get two, the creation of two different peoples of Middle-earth uh, involved here. And then we get an interesting look into the, um, the relationship of Aule and, and Yavanna and how they have a conflict uh, and how the conflict gets kind of resolved question mark <laughs> kind of but kind of not it's uh yeah interesting interesting picture uh so so first of all i guess talking about the uh creation of the dwarves um so Ali does this basically in secret right he's not he's not telling anybody about it um, and he's doing it because he's excited, you know, for the coming of the children of Iluvatar. You know, everybody, all the, all the Valar are, are, are so stoked, right, for the, for the coming of the children. And Aule kind of gets over his skis <laughs> with his excitement. He's just like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it. Um, and he, and he does it in secret. Uh, so I, I guess, what uh how are how are the secret acts that Aule does how are those any different than some of the secret acts of Morgoth that we've already talked about in previous chapters like what's the difference between the two well Aule wasn't trying to uh, usurp authority or um, replace what what Eru had done um he was he was trying to add to it <laughs> but it wasn't malicious <laughs> or 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 evil he wasn't that wasn't his intention um i can't say that the act itself wasn't wrong but um yeah there was there wasn't any malice in it i guess and with melkor it's always full of malice Lee disappeared. 
Sorry, I, I'm I'm pulling out my own Kindle because I took some notes on that that I don't have in my paper book. Cool. I was thinking that this story, the first time I read it, actually, um, it has flavors of the Abraham and Ishmael type vibe mm-hmm. for me. That. You know, Abraham kind of takes it into his own hands once he's because, you know, they're waiting for these promised children of Iluvatar and Ali mm-hmm. gets frustrated that it's taking forever and go goes ahead and goes forward with making these dwarves. And it just it has that kind of similar thing in the story where you've got Ishmael who, well, I, I might be getting ahead of myself, but who God also blesses, you know, he, he prospers him. And in the same way, Eru, you know, does something similar later um, when it comes down to it. But obviously it's not a one-for-one parallel like anything in this book, but it definitely just, if it's going to remind me of a Bible story, I think Abraham and, and Ishmael is kind of the vibe I was getting. Yeah, that, I can see that for sure. <laughs> the promised one. <laughs> trying to hasten their coming. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You yeah. take matters into your own hands to try to make the promise come true on your own on your own time timetable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think there's definitely flavors of that here. Obviously with with sub creation, right? You've got to according to Tolkien, you know, you've got to take what you already know and make art out of that. You're not going to you can't make something completely fresh. So, yeah, I think right. that that had to have been in the back of his mind when he was starting to put this together. Cause there, there are even some things uh, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to switch out to that because there's an interesting thing that Eru says that does remind me of, of that talking about um, uh, Eru uh, is talking about the, uh, the children, the children of his adoption and the children of his choice, yeah. right? So, so his choice was to make elves and men, right? Those are the children of Iluvatar. Mm-hmm. And Eru very graciously, instead of requiring Ale to kill these, this people that he made, adopts them as, as kind of sort of children of Iluvatar, except they're technically children of Ale, but, um, but Eru takes them on and, and gives them, breathes literally breathes life into them very much the way that that god breathes into adam at creation and he becomes a living soul a living spirit um he does the same thing for the for the dwarves because I, I that was one thing i thought was really interesting when so when ally makes the dwarves you know he he forms them out of out of the the dirt out of the soil out of stone um and uh they can only act when his attention is focused on them. Mm. Uh, otherwise they just kind of like lie there limply, almost like dolls um, until you, until you pick them up and play with them, there is no life. Um, and because Ale doesn't have the right or the ability to grant that kind of life that belongs to Eru alone. Uh, and, uh, and that, so I, I saw some, some uh, creational, uh, reflections in, in that part of the story too of uh how it, it truly takes the one god to uh to breathe life into people and not only primary life but 
spiritual life too, you know, even down to the, the subject of regeneration, you know, that, that you have to be granted new life by, by the Holy spirit to, to be reconciled to God as well. And then to, to truly live, not merely live according to the flesh, but have spiritual life too. Uh, I saw that. I saw that kind of in, in, in this story. Yeah. It makes you think of, uh, I don't know the verse reference off the top of my head, but it's, in whom in whom we live and move and have our being mm-hmm. that's what i that's what that's i thought of mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's what i thought of when he was uh, eru was talking to ale about you know they can only live if you're focused on them you know and mm-hmm. and we have that same thing but you know it, it's kind of like in him all things hold together right mm-hmm. so but on a Eru is capable of it on a grand scale. Well, and there's that hint that like before Eru does anything with the dwarves and giving them life, that it's like your creation is an extension of you. Mm-hmm. And so like you were saying, Lee, just that they do whatever you do. And you know, that Tolkien has, he has opinions on <laughs> on what people are making and doing um, with the power that they are given to make. And uh, I don't know. It's just interesting thought. What it really did kind of make me think of was where this is like really kind of random, but where does something like AI fall in? Oh. Because like before I was kind of thinking they're almost like, like, program robots in a sense is kind of mm-hmm. what it sounds like with the dwarves like you program them like he he teaches them and they only do what he does they have no emotion or care he switches but them on and off with his own attention right and when he goes to destroy them they should have not cared they should they should because that was his will was to destroy them so they should have been like okay like no mm-hmm. care but I don't know. Now we're kind of in this new weird age. I don't know if AI does care. I don't think AI has. Not yet, but it, yeah, not according yet. to Isaac Asimov, <laughs> it could eventually. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> but you, but you think it of could, all those. It could stimulate caring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's partly why. Like you and think that's... of the movies, movies where they've done like. AI type robots like they make them more humanoid mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. we care about them because that's what humans do but like they don't care yeah I don't know yeah that's that's kind of the Blade Runner subtext too like all those those uh replicants have an emotional life uh, you know they're they were treated basically like drone labor on mining planets and stuff but it's it's pretty clear that at least some of them, if not the most, most of them have actually have an emotional life that they're living out in the midst of all that, and which is why they started uprising on some of those other planets. Um, and then, and then too, again, to, to jump over to uh, the greatest in, in my favorite uh, sci-fi series, the, the whole background of, of why Dune is the way that Dune is, is because there had been basically a whole, AI machine thinking uh, takeover of the universe 
and they had to have an entire galactic war led by a guy named Butler. Uh, um, I would say the title, but I'm pretty sure it would it would get us it would get us uh, uh, taken off the internet. But um, there's an official title for for the war that goes on where they defeat not only defeat the the machine army, but uh, then institute rules that you. It's basically like one of the Ten Commandments: Thou shalt not make a uh, a machine in the shape of a human mind. And it's very much the same mm. kind of AI progression thing that that you were talking about, Maddie, where the the machines began as functional and then they started running the show essentially which has yeah. been the the core of a lot of horrific uh sci-fi thinking for decades we never learn but eru made it all right yeah eru <laughs> eru made it all right he was he yeah it's, it's that christian worldview behind it though yeah. Like that's that's yeah. the difference between like what Asimov was writing or um um or 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 Frank, good old Frank and Dune. Like Dune is very much a uh, um at least an agnostic, if not atheistic universe. Um mm-hmm. just completely, even though it's a great, great piece of work, but diametrically opposed um philosophically to to Tolkien's work. And I think yeah. if, if you had Frank Herbert writing the creation of the dwarves in, in, a, in a similar world, it wouldn't go like this. Yeah. Guaranteed. I'm glad he didn't do it then. Mm. Me too. I'm I glad like he did dwarves. what he did and nothing else. <laughs> the dwarves yeah, are I some love of my that favorite Avery characters. Had... Who are? The dwarves are some of my favorite oh. characters. I do. Yeah, I love the dwarves. In all the fantasy stories. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, well, this is another side thing, but I think Tolkien did a good job with the dwarves because uh, I was going into some Norse mythology and they're kind of described as ugly and, you know, comely. But I mean, the dwarves like aren't like the cutest things in the world, but he kind of redeems them in a way as well. Like they have something more to offer. They're very moral characters. Um, yeah. Except for meme. Uh, who we'll meet later in the Silmarillion. Meme <laughs> is a bad guy, but other than him, uh, you know, they're usually pretty morally upright. And when they're under the the influence of of uh, Sauron uh, with the Rings of Power, they're like the the only race uh, that had a more a, a, a Sauron influenced ring that didn't use it to hurt somebody else. It just made them dig deeper minds, basically. Uh, like. That's that's pretty good, I guess. Like, if you're going to be influenced by Sauron toward evil, uh, that's better than going and trying to subjugate people. So they just disappeared in their minds, which is pretty. Good. But and and that's kind of referenced here that you know they're they're hardy in in more ways than one. You know, not mm-hmm. not just that they live for a few hundred years, um, and uh, um, obviously are very strong physically, but they have a kind of like tenacity of spirit uh and are, are somewhat stubborn and immovable um for good reasons not necessarily bad reasons but uh very interesting i will say i'm gonna i'm gonna tip my hat to the rings of power for a second so you know zach record <laughs> this and make sure that you use it against me at some point 
You have my attention. <laughs> I loved the, uh, even though there shouldn't have been concurrent Durins, but um, the Durin-Elrond bromance uh, plot line was one of my favorite plot lines of the show. And I, I loved when they went through the thing of like, you know, you didn't come to my wedding. Elrond says, I'm busy, blah, blah, blah. And he, he I'm going to ruin the line, but basically he's like, um, you know, not all of us live forever like you do. Like, I'm going to yeah. die at some point. I'm only here for so long. You're not, you're not even my friend if you're not going to consider the fact that there's going to be a point where you don't see me anymore. And that was mm-hmm. such a, like, a, a, a sobering, revelatory part of that show. Because it really, like, it digs down into some of the things that are so different about some of the peoples on, in Middle Earth. And it showed kind of how, I think, selfish the Elvish, the, the different Elvish clans are at, at, um, across history. You know, they kind of put yeah. themselves in the middle of everything. But no, like, the adopted children of, of Iluvatar <laughs> are, uh, are worthy of, of being your friend. I really liked right. that. That was one of the strongest parts of the show to me. Well, and if you only watch the Lord of the Rings movies, then you don't really get or understand the tension between the elves and the dwarves and even elves mm-hmm. and men. You don't really, they're like, they hint at it a little bit. And they try to set it up for you, like at the Council of Elrond, but. Don't want to trust summer... an elf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But with the dwarves, I mean, that kind of circles back to the question between the difference of Ale and, and Morgoth in a sense that the reason that they're so stubborn is that Ale knows that they're in the time of Morgoth and he doesn't want them to be susceptible. Mm-hmm. So he makes them stubborn and strong-willed and hardy to avoid that. Yeah. So clearly he's not like he doesn't want them to be taken into his service. You can see kind of the craftsman's heart behind that, too, because he wants to take the materials that are the hardiest, uh, the ones that probably are, are the most difficult for to work with as a craftsman, but the ones that are going to last the longest. And he uses those to to make his people. Um, but I, I love that, like, like everybody kind of knows, like, the general form that the children are going to take, but, like, you, they don't know it exactly because it's only in Eru's mind that the true form is. And, uh, and so he like does his best approximation <laughs> and they're like kind of squatty, you know, and, uh, <laughs> short and it's uh, like, I, I enjoyed that. Just like how much he missed the mark as far as like the design went, but the, the materials that went in were very, very good. You can tell like, he's a guy who's probably more into materials than actual, the actual aesthetics of the final product, <laughs> you know, like for function over form. It reminds me a lot of you, Lee. Thank you. <laughs> like, like how these episodes turn out once I edit them. <laughs> Function over form. Just get it out there. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that's why I I feel like in, endured towards Ale. I just yeah. like his heart in this. I know he's like jumping the gun, but that's kind of me too. Like I'm just an impatient person. I like to... Ah, I want to do it now. I don't want to wait. Mm-hmm. And so I, I appreciate that. And then it's just funny. Like it 
it makes me love the dwarves more because like you were saying they're just like his imagining of what the children of Iluvatar are supposed to be like so it's almost mm-hmm. like it just adds a level of comedy almost mm-hmm. when you encounter them like that's eh, so funny he thought that they were like this i don't know they're like his mini me's from uh yeah from austin powers <laughs> Like, there's Dr. Evil and then Mini-Me. Yeah. Well, the world rents up for one million dollars. <laughs> I, I enjoyed at the at the beginning, it's actually in the first paragraph where it talks about Alley's reason. And he's like, um, you know, it's told at the beginning of the doors are made by Alley in the darkness of Middle Earth. For so greatly did Alley desire the coming of the children, just like, you know, the rest of the, of the, of the Valar do. Uh, to have learners to whom he could teach his lore and his crafts. Like the whole purpose was to to share his knowledge and his art with them. Uh, and that, that, that shows kind of like a, like you said, a, like a purity of intention, uh, just good, good heartedness. Like it's just, it's time to share, you know, we, we've done all this work. It's time to share it with someone. Uh, that's very uh, approachable, understandable. Um, and one of the things he shared in, in this is something I thought one of the things I took away from this was one of the first things that is mentioned in this chapter that he did share was um, uh, he began to instruct the dwarves in the speech that he had devised for them. So like one of the, like before he showed them what like a hammer and a chisel was, he taught them to talk. Yeah. That's so interesting as a detail for Tolkien to mention here. Well, language is so important for communication. Yeah. How do you have a community without a language? Right. And how do you instruct without a language? And speech is so central to the world of Tolkien's characters, for sure. Yeah, he he wrote them a language before they even existed. It's a very Tolkien thing to do. Because basically, he wrote this story for the languages that he made up. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's basically the timeline. I see a little bit of J.R.R. Tolkien in in Alley. Not gonna. Yeah, lie. I was gonna say <laughs> Alley is Tolkien. Uh, that's funny. It's so weird. Language is such a weird thing because we know that it evolves and changes over time, but they're. I mean, as far as a a biblical Christian goes, there was never a time where there wasn't language Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that people understood. It wasn't like Mm -hmm. we had to come up with everything on our own. So if you think like Adam and Eve in the garden, they they knew how to talk to each other, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, you do get the the thing of like Adam naming all the creatures mm-hmm. and but um other than that we don't yeah, the really world see began like with a, language right it was spoken yeah, into existence right. too well then you get to the tower of babel and the world is broken up into different languages mm-hmm. but these groups of people could understand each other so they already had is this the same kind of thing you 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 already know this language like how was that <laughs> they didn't have to learn it you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's already there. Like they didn't have to go through got, grammar school to, but I got an upload together. from, I got an upload like in the matrix. 
<laughs> Instead of Kung Fu, it's uh, <laughs> whatever new language it was. I know Chinese. Sumerian. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is so contrary to like what the secular world says, like what they teach in, in class. Because I went to school to be a speech language Oh, see, I'm stuttering now. Speech language <laughs> pathologist. <laughs> I'm going to have to use my own services soon, but speech Position language pathologist. There we go. Um, and it's just funny. Like, it would be so funny to me that the stories that they tell on how language develops, like they'll, they'll teach you how language develops in an infant and, you know, how that develops and how it's necessary to have language before a certain time and how much exposure you need a language in order to develop the language centers in your brain, yada, yada, yada. But then at the beginning of the book, they'll say like, well, it probably evolved over time and probably grunts like they probably grunted <laughs> at each other. And then eventually the grunts developed into different sounds and they communicated the hunt. And it's like, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to think that this evolved over time, but yet you're telling me that a three-year-old who's never exposed to language will never learn language and will never have the capacity for it. We, we went from but then hunter, hunter, the adult Sonic. hunter gathers are evolving language. <laughs> like, <laughs> Listen to yourselves. <laughs> it's I mean, ridiculous. Can, they don't. You can, develop, you can develop new methods to communicate, like in code or something. Oh, right? sure. But but sign not, language or something no well and code code isn't the same the ability to... mm -hmm. right yeah your link like you you continue to add more vocabulary and, and stuff like right. that but if you don't have if your brain doesn't form those connections when you're little especially like you have auditory processing i can go on a big mm -hmm. rant but like the way mm -hmm. your brain processes those sounds into meaningful words like you have to have that and if you don't then you're not going to develop language the ability to yeah. communicate so or yeah or it's if ridiculous. you suffer a stroke if you suffer a stroke yes. and those pathways get get mixed up and you have to relearn it again same process yeah. but with an older less plastic brain yeah it's very hard but you can't you can't teach like a, a kid who was you know neglected they'll never have the capacity for real language. I mean, you could get a little bit, but they're not going to be able to speak and understand in the same way. So it's ridiculous. I'm just going to throw that out there. It's ridiculous to think that language evolved over time from grunting. Let so alone Zach, just the... the <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> well, the anatomy, all the things that are like we need. I'm sorry. This is going to make me upset. Go, I'm go. pretty sure Ale made sure the dwarves had good lips so that they can make sounds. <laughs> well, you know what? One of the interesting Any... things about the, about the dwarves is like, we don't, we don't, like, we've got the, we have the written language, but we don't really know how their language works. You know, there's not a, yeah. there's not a, a system that, that Tolkien laid out like he did for Tengwar. Um, and that's, and that's part of their lore, right? They're so secretive. Like every dwarf has a name that only other dwarves know. So like Gimli's name isn't truly Gimli. He's publicly knowable as Gimli because that's his public name. But every every dwarf has a secret name in Dwarvish that only 
dwarves know. Uh, and, and I don't know. Were if, they don't sealed, know exactly. sealed in the temple? Yeah, right. Kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out Maybe the dwarves are on, just LDS. <laughs> I was going to say they're written on golden tablets in the bottom of the mine. Uh, and you, or, or on a little magic rock you can only read inside of a top hat. Yeah, Doran, <laughs> Doran looked inside of a top hat. I think actually part of the reason, if I'm remembering right, I could be wrong on this, but part of the reason that you have like petty dwarves, which is what meme is, um, petty dwarves let their dwarvish name be known to non-dwarves and basically were mm. ejected from their communities. So they were like exiled dwarves because they basically broke the, the bond of trust of language, like it's based in language. Uh, pretty, I don't know, I think that's really interesting. Hmm. And that's why Neem stinks. He's terrible. Because he has no integrity. No, no collab for you, Meme. <laughs> you will not hide a collab, Meme. You're stuck. <laughs> <sighs> no planet for you. He delved too greedily and too deep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, um, some cultish fans are listening you never know they might get it there could be a fun crossover <laughs> there um so the cult of tolkien it, there could be one yeah, there probably I, is probably is i can't I have talk a hard about time it, not joining it yeah the first the first rule <laughs> of uh of tolkien cult is we don't talk about the tolkien cult <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Don't tell anybody, Lee. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll delete that in post. I want to I want to retain <laughs> my life. Yes. Um. So I know we talked a little bit about the um you know the supposed uh destruction of the dwarves, right? Because it was only it should have been only right for Alley to to smash the dwarves into pieces um, and return them to the the. Uh, material they were made from because they're not the children of Iluvatar and he was out of line to do it. Um, but what I thought was interesting, cause like Ale kind of gives a speech to Eru uh, and in the midst of it, he, it was a quote that really stood out to me. He says, yet the making of things is in my heart from my own making by thee. So mm -hmm. not, and he, and he didn't say it in like a blaming way. Like you made me like this. What do you expect? Like it, it was <laughs> kind of like Adam saying, well, you gave me this woman, you know, blame, blame God for what Eve did. Um, and then he, what, what Adam didn't do. But, um, but I, I think he was really grounding his, his own thought and uh, passion in his being made by Eru. Um, mm -hmm. And, and as I was thinking about it, because, you know, the idea of subcreation is so important, like, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very Tolkienian idea, you know, is that desire to create that I think is a, an innately human trait, you know, is that um, part of or um, part and parcel of our creation by, by Yahweh? Um, like, because God is a creator, God being made in his image, we too have a desire to create. Granted, we're only going to be able to sub-create using what God's already given us. But, you know, even even those who hate God 
still have that yeah. creative impulse that I think is uniquely human. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Easy yes. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm glad to retain my orthodoxy for another episode. <laughs> well, and it's really hard to find any example that's comparable, like in the animal kingdom of the type of creation that humans do. And sometimes you can find things that are Dumb like, beetles. okay, the bee. <laughs> well, maybe if your art compares big balls of poop art. <laughs> I mean, if your art compares to dung beetle art, then feet of engineering. Yeah, the shoe fits. Yeah, even like even like a spider web, like we think they're beautiful, yeah. right? That is a purely mechanical. It's not a. It's not art. It's it's a mechanical process. Or a bird's song, like a bird might, yeah. might, you know, tweet very prettily. That's not a song. Like it's not the way, not the way that we would, a, a songwriter would write a song. Like that is just, it's, it's their speech. It's just part of their speech. Uh, yeah. And, like crows, they build, different. crows will like collect pretty shiny things. Some of them. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's some birds that like will build you know, elaborate nests or whatever to attract a mate. But Beaver dams. it's all, it's very instinctual to them. Mm -hmm. Like they instinctually do this stuff where none of them are like, you know, I'd really like to make my beaver dam in the shape of Lee. I think I just want a giant, <laughs> oh, so giant sorry Lee. If you come up with that idea. <laughs> That'd be the worst. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm having like a nightmare on the back of my head. Oh, I want a beaver dam in the shape of Lee now. That. that would be amazing. Oh, look at how artistic that beaver is. That would be like the new Trojan horse. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny wow i'm writing that down that might be a, a episode <laughs> title <laughs> that's you're gonna have to like cut out like five minutes of us just laughing <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious i love that i mean i hate it too but I also love it. <laughs> I just can't stop imagining a beaver. <laughs> if you did actually, like, if you did lay it on his dam. side, yes, or on yeah. his back, like, so, something my like shoes dam a river, like yeah, just like reclining. <laughs> Reclining on my elbow, <laughs> stopping the river from flowing. I could do that. Something in the shape of me could do that. Oh, it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, oh man. Lee, I need oh. a picture of you doing that, like, full body. Meme so central. Make a meme. Yes. Yes. Okay. 
that'll happen. We can do that. That'd be fine. That won't, uh, that won't be horrific we'll or anything. Like superimpose like beaver dam sticks <laughs> over you. <laughs> like, nobody. <laughs> beaver dam Lee. <laughs> 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 and nobody will get it unless they listen. That's right. Inside jokes that are podcast based are the best inside jokes. I mean, you got waves and Tolkien that look like people. You might as well have beaver dams that look like people. Absolutely. And and the only one that could clear that dam would be uh, would be Ulmo himself. <laughs> it's just that heavy. Oh my god. I'm gonna need um, some recovery time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any um, is this what we were talking about with you know being creative? Is that, is that yes, that creative? <laughs> it's a nice demonstration uh, from Maddie. <laughs> very good. Yeah, very good. Well, I had a level of dung beetle, so I was just trying to <laughs> raise raise the bar. <laughs> <laughs> anyways so yeah i mean I, that in the least offensive way possible <laughs> it's, it's my fault for uh, sending us down that rabbit trail um i have I, i've got one other thought about the dwarves and we can move on but um the the chapter mentions as well about uh kind of their the destiny of the dwarves and um which i also thought was interesting because you know, part of part of the children of Iluvatar, right, is the fact that they have their own destinies. You know, the mm-hmm. the elves uh, are are tied to Middle Earth. Um, and they and they live, you know, eternally basically, um, uh, unless they're killed or or die, you know, otherwise. Uh, but they won't die naturally. Uh, and if they do die, they actually can be reincarnated in return. Uh, we know that that happened with at least one elf. Um, over, over the course of the history of Middle Earth. Um, but these, uh, the, the dwarves as well, um, not only they have long life, um, they, can, they too can be reincarnated, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that's, that's part of my criticism with having consecutive Durins because um, talking about the, the seven fathers of the dwarves, one of the great ones is, is named Durin. And uh, it, basically, it was promised that he would be reincarnated seven different times. And uh, um, that's why it was so weird, because like you've got Dur- Durin the third and his son Durin the fourth. Like that would mean that it, it would be the same person <laughs> existing as two different people at the same time. Like that's that doesn't work according to the lore. Um, but but anyway, uh <laughs> One of the fa- the fatal flaw of that show, right? <laughs> but so how, I, I'm, how do you think? Like, how do you? Because I don't know how to think about this. But as Christians, and knowing that this is supposed to be a you know pseudo Christian worldview, like how do how should we approach that or think about the fact that he included something like reincarnation, which we know is not a biblical, not biblical. concept. We don't. We, yeah, we don't believe that. I don't know. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I have an idea, but I'll, I'll leave the floor open and I'll I'll go last. 
Zach, what's your brilliant idea on that concept? Uh, well, I hadn't really thought about it, honestly, um, until just now because Maddie brought it up. Um, <laughs> so you're going to get off the cuff, I guess. Hot take central. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that there's some things that are, you know, obviously Christian, obviously, you know, influenced by his worldview. And then there are some things that he's just making it up, you know, or he's basing it on some other mythology. It's not all Christian all the time. Um, and it, I, he didn't, I don't believe that he intended it to be. Um, it's mm -hmm. not allegorical. It's, you know, you, you see flavors of things, but this is not, like we've said before, one for one for any of it. Um, so I would say that this is probably more of a, you know, I don't know who, who did reincarnation. Was it just, was it just Hindu or was it Hindu and then, and then Buddhism? Yeah. So, and uh, I don't know if he was really pulling from that as much as just, Hey, this concept is out there and I think it would be cool. You know, um, I don't know. I, I, obviously that, that that's not something we do other i mean we get we get resurrection right mm -hmm. um and that doesn't happen multiple times that's one time and but it's still it, us yeah yeah uh, i mean if you wanted to go with something you could maybe make a case for like this is you know um prophetic person in the line of other prophets you know that kind of a thing but that's i think that that's probably really as close as i would get to it as far as christianity is concerned anyway there you go <laughs> i think it's it's almost akin to something eschatological so um <clears throat> th there are two children of Iluvatar, and then he adopts the dwarves uh, there are other peoples that come along as well. But Eru's design and his, his true heart was for men, not really for elves. And so in some way, these, um, the elves and really the dwarves too, are, are, even though the elves don't die and the dwarves live for a long time, they're actually a transitory race. Um, Middle Earth essentially is made for men. Um, and that's why we see kind of at the end of the third age in the Lord of the Rings, you know, the elves have been dwindling for so long and um, the races of men have been increasing to the point that eventually Middle Earth gets entirely handed over to men altogether, which then mm -hmm. in the way that Tolkien connects Lord of the Rings, the Middle Earth, uh, the, the place of Middle Earth connects with our times uh, is is the earth being handed over to to mankind as the as the predominant race uh, so that the children of Luvatar uh, on earth are men and so um so i I think it's almost some of these kind of extra biblical ideas that go into the elves <laughs> particularly and also the dwarves I think are kind of for the fact that they're they're almost sort of like angelic type um guardians of of middle earth like the wars that we'll see in beleriand are are basically completely fought by elves uh and it's it's almost like 
like Eru had planned for them to to um, to run the show in the first and second age, and then in into the third begin dwindling away and in, in handing over uh, the world to to the preeminent children of Iluvatar men, hmm. which is where most of the biblical concepts for creatures really are are nestled together is is in men, not necessarily in elves. That's just kind of my idea. I've got no basis in Tolkien's world for that, but um, I think I think he's able to, to shoehorn these kind of more fantastical elements into them uh, because they're not ultimately the, the ones who are uh, um, responsible for the Middle Earth Dominion mandate. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's helpful. I think just, like, it doesn't weird me out, but I think some of us can be a bit hypersensitive you know reading something like this like oh um, i want to read a story about reincarnation or something like that <laughs> that's pain yeah, well and it it happens so rarely so even though even though it's possible you know it happens <laughs> what seven times for the dwarves over the course of their whole history um according to the to the text only one elf has ever been reincarnated um and that was for a very particular purpose and so, even though it was possible, I can't say that it was, it was common enough that it's a hallmark of these peoples. <laughs>